I was very free spending and impulsive. Like I got my first job out of college and I'm like trips, keeping up with my friends. I'm able to afford these clothes that I didn't wear in high school. This is Money Confidential, a podcast from Real Simple about our money stories, struggles, and secrets. I'm your host, Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez, and today our guest is a 28-year-old Mississippi native now living in Brooklyn, New York, who we're calling Gabrielle, not her real name. I moved from Mississippi like directly after college to New York, so it was like a big change <laughs> in the environment. Suddenly I was like, oh, all of my money is gone because I went to brunch or something like that. So it just was like, okay, well, how do I maintain a social life and like enjoy the benefits of living in New York without being paycheck to paycheck every time? Whether you're living in a big, expensive city like New York or a small town across the country, building a fund into your budget can be a challenge, especially when so much of your social life feels connected to spending money. And when you're in your 20s and just starting to build up your lifestyle and social network, especially in a new city, it's easy for that spending to spiral out of control as it did for Gabrielle. When I first moved to New York, I got a credit card and racked up a ton of credit card debt because I was using it to pay for things that I didn't have money for. And then I got in the position where I was getting an apartment and you have to put down like so many deposits and I didn't have enough, I didn't have a real savings account at the time. And I put my apartment deposit on my credit card, which had a very high APR and that turned into a snowball and I wound up in a lot of credit card debt. And I was just like, oh my God, I have to get this under control. So I feel like for most of my 20s, that was the big struggle for me was just feeling like, how do I take control of this snowball of credit card debt? How long have you been living in New York now? For six years. And over the course of that time, have you found any particular strategies or approaches that have been effective in helping you manage that balance? One thing I did that really helped was separate my bank accounts. So now I have two bank accounts. One I call my fund money and one is my bill money. And so I just split my direct deposit that way. So I don't have to touch what I call my bill account. Everything's coming out of there on auto pay. And then on my fund money account, it's just like do whatever with. And it's in that one, I'm always still paycheck to paycheck, which I guess is fine because it's just fund money. But I don't know. <laughs> I would like to just feel like freedom, like not to be worried about my finances constantly and know that my money's working for me and that I have it when I need it. And like, if something comes up that I want, like if I want to go on a trip that I feel like, oh, I can do that. And that hasn't always been the case. And you see people, especially in the city, because the salaries can be like anywhere. It's kind of insane. And so you see all these people and you're like, okay, we're like the same age. We've been working the same amount. How do you have this apartment? How are you going on these trips all the time? You know, that's always kind of hard to like compare yourself to others around you. The how are you affording this question is like the ultimate it's one. insane. <laughs> Seriously, on my block, the brownstones are going for like two million. I'm like, who are these people moving in next to me? Like, where are these millionaires coming from? You see the vacation picture or the house picture, but you don't see that maybe that vacation is on a credit card with 25% interest. And that's actually not a situation you want to be in, no matter how pretty the picture is. Right. I haven't done a lot of traveling in the past few years. And I think because I've been focusing on the debt so much, so I think that's the one thing that gives me the real FOMO. I see 
all these people going on trips. I'm like, oh, I would love that. You know, I guess for what I'm trying to prioritize, it doesn't feel like something that would make sense for me. If I'm trying to pay down credit card debt, I probably shouldn't be dropping thousands of dollars to go on a trip somewhere. I wonder if it would make you feel better if you could see yourself making progress toward that day in a tangible way. You know, you talked about having a separate account for fun money, but what if you had a separate accounts for your fun goals, right? Is it a vacation fund? Should you name it with your dream destination? Clearly, that separation has been useful to you. But then I also think that having that specificity and then also having this kind of very tangible way to say, like, I am working towards this and I'm seeing momentum every week, even if it's $10 a week that I'm putting toward it. And then you get to kind of see the progress and the feeling without it becoming totally overwhelming. Yeah, I like that idea because other than saying this is the fun money account, I haven't been making goals towards that. All the goals come out of the bill money and they feel less fun, you know? After a year and a half of COVID lockdowns and working from home, Gabrielle, like many Americans, is also enjoying the reopening of things like restaurants and travel. This pent-up demand for services and experiences we haven't been able to enjoy since before the pandemic is so widespread, it's even been given its own name revenge spending. An analysis of savings trends during the pandemic found that individuals who didn't experience unemployment or a reduction in salary were actually able to save more money than ever, especially with reduced expenses due to canceled vacations, smaller holiday celebrations, and the lack of social spending due to COVID restrictions. So now, to make up for lost time, Americans all over the country are splurging on the things they missed most including travel, concerts, and big in-store purchases. And while it's totally okay to spend some money on these things, the key is building this fun experiential spending into your budget in a way that works with the rest of your financial goals, which is a balance Gabrielle, like so many of us, is still trying to figure out. I love going to eat out and like being in New York, you have the world at your fingertips. So I feel like a lot of that goes to going out to dinner, going out to drinks with friends. I feel like I spend way too much money on Ubers and Lyfts when I'm out being social. I love going to the park, having like picnics in the summer, things like that. I guess it's like when I get my paycheck and then it always feels like the weekends take it all away. <laughs> like It's like, oh, you get paid on Friday and then you're going to get paid Friday after the next. But by that middle Friday, it's like, OK, well, the money's gone. <laughs> And how much of it is connected to socializing? I think the majority of it. <laughs> Me and my best friend will joke. We'll be like, oh, we're not going to order. We're going to make food at home. And then we're like, oh, well, I don't know. We could just order seamless, you know? <laughs> oh, I fall into that trap quite a bit. So yeah, that's something I need to get better at. For me, the trigger is I'm tired. Can you identify any other like triggers, whether it's feelings or situations in which you feel like you wind up spending more than you wanted to? I feel you on the tired thing too. Like if you're working late and you're commuting, it's like 10 o'clock when you get home. And so you don't want to make dinner at that time. So that definitely would happen a lot. I feel like every once in a while, you get that little retail therapy kick where you're like, oh, I want to buy that just because it'll make me feel better. I feel like I'm mostly going out to eat is more of a comfort for me, but I definitely have like 
bought a pair of shoes or something that I don't know that I necessarily wanted, but I was like, oh, this this is nice. <laughs> and how do you feel afterwards? You enjoyed it or do you feel guilty? I guess I don't always feel super guilty about that. But like on a night where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to spend any money at all. I'm going to cook dinner. And then that doesn't happen. And I order seamless. And then I'm like, why did I just spend $70? Then I feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're with friends it's like, oh, well, there's a couple of us. Should we just get the bottle? And then people are just adding things to it. And then at the end of the night, it's just like, oh, well, I'll split it. And that in itself is a bit of a snowball. And I think I kind of had to learn to reel that in and be like, okay, well, you can't do what everyone else can do. And some of your friends could be making like over six figures and maybe you're not. And so you go to dinner with their, those friends and they're like, let's get this, let's get that. Or they're picking the place and it's very expensive. And then you're there and you're like, oh God, what do I do? I definitely feel like I've been in those situations. And that did contribute to my credit card debt, especially when I was younger, like just wanting to say yes to things, having the FOMO, going to the fancy restaurant that your friend that makes a lot more money than you picked. I've even had talks with certain friends. If it's like a close, close friend, you know, because you're going to be hanging out with them a lot, being like, okay, like we got to kind of start picking some, you know, maybe $2 signs versus the $3 signs when we're looking at the, the Google review. Luckily, my friends, they're all pretty receptive and understanding, so... The pandemic has actually helped with saving up because I'm, you know, obviously not doing the things I would be doing regularly. So that's been helpful for my emergency fund. Now, when you have that number in place and then when you have the credit card debt paid off, do you think that will facilitate some of those feelings you were talking about wanting in terms of freedom? Oh, yeah. Even though now the credit card debt is so much smaller than it, it was, it still feels like a chain around my ankle. And so I like dream about the day when I get my paycheck and just so much more of it can just come to the fun money side <laughs> instead of paying for past things. How do you imagine you'll feel on that day? Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Just more free. And I think there's also a little bit of shame there too, or like guilt where I'm like, oh, I did this. And you feel like you're kind of paying for it. So I feel like having that done with and out of my hair will be amazing. And maybe now it's about thinking, okay, well, what do I want my money to actually afford me? And how do I incorporate those goals into this savings plan with these accounts and with this strategy? I definitely have been coming at it from just the like utilitarian mode and not as much like something that affords me fun things and can be a positive thing and not just a stressful thing. <laughs> yes, yes, we want money to be a positive thing, right? The goal of the money is the lifestyle it allows us to live, not the numbers themselves. Instead of feeling ashamed or stressed out about our fun and social spending, my challenge to Gabrielle and anyone feeling similarly is to embrace that spending as a natural part of your monthly budget, setting up a dedicated checking account for fun money spending and a dedicated savings account for fun money goals is a great place to start. After the break, we'll talk to Asia Dang about the strategies she used to keep joyful spending in her budget while still staying on track toward her goal of paying off over $200,000 of debt in just two years. Hey, 
everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I've always felt financially unstable. I always thought, you know, I had $150,000 of debt for just grad school that didn't include undergrad or my credit cards or my car loan. And I just always thought that I would struggle financially and always feel frustrated and scared and never like I'm getting ahead of any sort. That's Asia Dang. You might know her from her Instagram or YouTube channel, where she shared her monthly budget and chronicled her journey of paying off over $200,000 of debt in just two years. My youngest adopted dog got really sick, and I had to take him to the emergency room, and I was sitting in the emergency room at the vet for hours just watching people have to take out credit card debt at the vet office to be able to afford the care that their pet needed or put them down. That was my aha moment. I was like, oh my God, I'm like in a really bad place right now. I, like, I can't take care of my family. And that was the moment where I decided to kind of get my life together so I wouldn't have to put myself and my family in that situation ever again. I cannot tell you how many times I've cried and people are just like, listen, lady, you're going too hard. You know, the whole idea of rice and beans, beans and rice is cool in theory, but it's just not realistic. So I paid off my credit card, my car loan, and my undergraduate loan, and that's when I burnt out because I didn't feel excited about everything that I had accomplished. So what I ended up starting to do was financially putting aside money to treat myself. So it could have been anything from like a really nice dinner or honestly, it was like my very first goal was laser waxing or laser hair removal. That's what I wanted to save up for myself. So they were like money goals that I put aside while still paying off my debt, but it allowed me to like feel excited about accomplishing something financially, even if it was as small as like $100 here and there, that helped me kind of stay focused. I would actually make kind of like flow charts. So let's say I wanted to put aside $100 for a dinner that I would get to eventually. I would kind of divide that up into maybe $20 small blocks. And every time I was able to put $20 aside, I would highlight that. And I actually did that on my debt-free journey as well. When I had my huge $150,000 undergraduate loan, I broke it into very many <laughs> $200 boxes. And every time I put aside or paid off $200 toward that loan, I would highlight it. And then that for me was also a motivator because instead of like just seeing your debt go down. It's like a game. I'm very competitive. I need to be able to see the goal line. When I first built my budget, I kept my facials in my budget, even though I was $200,000 in debt. And when I just showed my first budget, I got comments were like, you have to take it out. Like, this is unacceptable. You have to take it out. And I'm thinking like, but why? Because I can afford that and still contribute. At that time, I was not contributing that much over my minimum because I wasn't making as much money as I 
did at the end of my journey, but I can still put money towards my debt. Me having a facial every month isn't preventing me from doing that. So it's also like, don't listen to other people. It's your money. Is your money, is your journey. You can always take advice from people, but at the end of the day, it's your decision what to include in your budget and then what you want to say for separate your fun goals from your actual financial goals. I love your story about the facials. I love that you built it into your budget. And I want to talk about how we can conceptualize that responsibly. So what is that tipping point between this is a priority and a value for me that I want to keep in my budget versus I am now just justifying things that if I over justify, I'm not actually going to make progress on my financial journey. So for me, it's kind of like, obviously, when you put something aside, that's not a quote unquote necessity, you're sacrificing something else, right? So my facials, while you know, facials are are expensive, but mine I would consider affordable at $85. So that's why I kept it in there. But me contributing that $85 is taking away from food or it's taking away towards additional payments towards my debt. And when you think about it that way, I think whether or not it's important enough to replace that money going to something more as a quote unquote necessity, right? So like, getting my nails done. I don't really care about doing that. So that was something that I could easily throw aside or getting my haircut. I can go a year without getting my haircut. So that was to the side. But for me, a facial was something that was non-negotiable and I was willing to sacrifice other necessities for that. And I also love that you didn't let someone else tell you that that shouldn't be a value for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what I learned really quickly sharing my journey is that People have an opinion about what women spend their money on. So at some point, you just have to like close off other people's opinions about what they deem is necessary and just go with what you want. Because ultimately, we've been saying if you cut out everything that you love and enjoy out of your life, then you're for sure going to give up on your debt-free journey. That I can guarantee you. There's also the part of it where it's like everyone around me is doing this. I feel like I should be doing this. Do you have any thoughts about how to fight back against that sense of pressure? I think my close group of friends who I would go out to dinner with or get drinks with, they understood. And I didn't have to explain myself. Like I didn't have to explain, oh no, I can't afford it. It's just like, no, I can't come this week, but maybe we can do you know, happy hour in a couple weeks or something like that. So it's not like you cannot not have fun, but you do have to kind of like be honest about your situation. So I would never tell anyone to not go out to a dinner or not go on a trip. But again, it's at the sacrifice of something else, you know, going to the park and like having a picnic is not that expensive. So there's other workarounds that you can do while still enjoying your life and still exploring the city that gets you out and about and social, but not taking a major hit on you financially. I always tell people to do what you're comfortable with. I think that's also the major problem that I have with a lot of the financial advice out there. It is very like, you have to do this. This is the right way. Do this, do this. But it's not really taking into account people. like their lifestyle, how they feel. I always say, this is what I did and this is why. But if that doesn't align with you, then, you know, here are some other options. People just want to be guided. And sometimes that's enough, you know, and then 
they also don't want to feel like if they make a mistake and like maybe go over budget or accidentally like spend money on something they weren't supposed to, like the world's not going to end. How do you create a positive relationship with money more generally? And if you're in a place of shame, you know, what might be a good place to start to shift that feeling around the money? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an issue, right? Because money and debt and finances is already an emotional thing. So if you're kind of surrounded by negativity, it makes everything more difficult. So my thing that I always love to recommend that I think is the biggest piece of advice I could give is find your community and surround yourself with people whether they be at like your best friend or like complete strangers online that will just be there to support you and no judgment whatsoever. Cause obviously it's really easy to feel judged when you're talking about money and your financial situation, but you know, places I'm like your podcast or like my YouTube channel where you can like go in the comment section and just say, Hey, listen, I had a, a really bad month. I went over budget you know, my AC broke down, my emergency fund is depleted, and I'm feeling really frustrated, people will surround you and will encourage you and will give you advice or will just say, you know what, me too, I'm right there with you, but we can figure this out together. So it's always like the number one thing you have to do besides building up your emergency fund before paying off debt is finding your community. Because if you don't have people that can like surround you and support you judgment-free, then it makes the process significantly more difficult. Don't listen to (laughs) anyone that makes you feel bad about yourself and your decisions. I'm so sick of people telling me what I'm doing wrong or, you know, what I should be doing. And it's like, well, you know what? This is my journey though. And your advice is, you know, appreciated, but that doesn't mean that what I'm doing is wrong. So that's kind of my guiding light is like you take, all the advice that you can get and like listen to it. But ultimately the decision is yours, whether you want to utilize it or not and go about your own journey. I was not perfect in my journey. And I know you as in like whoever's listening won't be either. And I mean, I think with life in general, the more you dwell on your mistakes, the harder it is to like move past it. But once you get into that flow, it's just easier to live, live life. Like people are always asking me, like, how has your financial situation or like your spending habits changed? And it's like, it hasn't since I've been doing this for, I would say like three years now, I've implemented these things in my lifestyle that prevent me from maybe overspending or from making unsafe financial decisions. So you're going to make those mistakes. Don't dwell on it. It's okay. Like it's literally not life or death, right? You just mentioned that you have put these systems in place to prevent you from overspending. What does that actually look like in your life? Right. So every Sunday, my favorite day is Sunday because I can like go to the farmer's market and it's a very calm day. But every Sunday I do my budget, like period. If I miss it, then I feel very anxious on Monday. And I chose Sunday to do it, not necessarily because it's at the end of the week, but because it's my favorite day. So doing something inherently unfun on a day that I enjoy because it's just like a relaxing day makes it 
something more of a habit than like an inconvenience to do. So that's something I'm specifically talking about is every Sunday I'll like go over my budget. If it's the last Sunday of the month, I'll, you know, do my monthly budget overview. I'll do the budget for the next month and all that stuff. So something like that is something that I've implemented over the years to help me stay on track financially. I think it's also easy to forget that the majority of people are just so scared of their financial situation that they're not even looking at their bank accounts on Sundays, you know? So even just like that act is already setting you up for success. I think financial health is more than just the successes of paying off debt. It's the success of just showing up daily and like just being conscious of your motivations and your spending and all that stuff. So how can Gabrielle build fun and social spending into her financial plan? To Asia's point, a lot of it starts with setting aside the time to sit down, open up the bank statements, look through the credit card bills, and take stock of where her money is already going. Once she's done that, she can make more clear and intentional decisions about the trade-offs she is and isn't willing to make. For Asia, the priority was facials alongside her bills, debt payments, and emergency fund contributions. For Gabrielle, it might be a weekly spending allowance for dinners and social outings in New York City. Instead of trying to eliminate non-essential expenses altogether, then feeling guilty when we do spend money on a dinner out or a trip to see family or a night out with friends, we can acknowledge the value and importance of these expenses in our lives at the outset when we sit down to make our financial plans so that we can then build those fun and social spending priorities into them. By building fun into our budgets, our financial plans can become less of a source of burnout and more of a sustainable roadmap for making progress toward our financial goals while actually enjoying life along the way. This has been Money Confidential from Real Simple. If, like Gabrielle, you have a money story or question to share, you can send me an email at money.confidential at realsimple.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-352-4106. Be sure to follow Money Confidential on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at realsimple.com slash moneyconfidentialpodcast. Real Simple is based in New York City. Money Confidential is produced by Mickey O'Connor, Heather Morgan-Schott, and me, Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Saff, Danielle Roth, Chris Browning, and Trey Boudie.